Welcome in to the Wednesday Bible study, and uh, I'm just thankful that you have decided to take time to to watch this live or to uh, watch it archived or listen to it archived. However you're getting the Bible study today, I'm I'm just thankful that you're here with us. I'm Rick Burgess with TheManChurch.com and co-host of The Rick and Bubba Show. We're in the Rick and Bubba studios right now, as we are most every Wednesday. So I do want to tell you, we're in a study right now. It's from the J.I. Packer book, Knowing God. The concept uh, is we can, you can know a lot about God, but still not really know God. Uh, the other concept is what is, our de- what is the motivation for our desire to know God? Is it to be theologically correct when someone asks questions or to be able to engage in debates and say, well, I have the correct biblical answer? If that's the reason for the pursuit, it's the wrong motivation. Uh, and we've been talking about that now for five weeks. This is uh, week six today, and we're going to talk about another aspect of knowing God and one that, that has a lot of depth to it. It's going it's to deal with the Trinity, uh, the Godhead, and specifically the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that, that will be our focus. So let's do, uh, like we always do, let you know what's going on with themanchurch.com. Uh, and, and if you're not familiar with that, themanchurch.com is a, is a, is a hub where you can go and we provide resources for communities or churches, uh, our individual men who desire to grow spiritually. We have a complete discipleship strategy uh, for your church uh, that you can plug in. If you do the turnkey version, uh, we have an entire year of a strategy to, to challenge and reach men, but at the same time equip them and grow them from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity to disciple them, and we can provide all those resources for you. Uh, other things are individual resources that, that, are, that are available for men who want to form their own groups on their own, who want to disciple their children, uh, who want to grow for themselves. And I'd like for you to focus on that a little bit right now. Uh, we, have a, we just completed the, the last title and what, what we call our How to Be a Man trilogy. And these are 40-day devotionals. The first one, The Pursuit of Christ-Centered Masculinity. The second one, uh, Real Men of the Bible. And now the third one that just came out, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it look like to be a disciple? And each one of them take eight concepts and go over five days. Uh, and right now, since the trilogy is complete, uh, you can go to themanchurch.com. Maybe you've never gotten any of them. Uh, you can actually get all of them in a, in a three-devotional pack, get all three of them from themanchurch.com. We have these in the adult version. We also have these in the student version. So if you're a dad watching this and you'd love to you know, go through this with your with your with your sons. Uh, you can do that. He'll have his version. And the only thing different between the students and the adult versions is the examples. Uh, the scriptures and all that are still the same. So, if you've already got the first two, know that the third one is available for you now. If you've never gotten them, uh, you can go and, and get the, get a combo or get all three of them, uh, and you would have uh, three different forty day devotionals lined up on three different topics, all under the heading of me being the man that God has called me to be, and only he can accomplish. So themanchurch.com, you can see uh, all the information about what we do there. And also, if you'll go to burgessministries.com and look at upcoming events, you'll see we have events that are coming up. The Pursuit Men's Conference is coming to Dothan. Steve Farrar will be with us, Rich Wingo, uh, Brody Kroll. I'll be speaking. Uh, Our very own uh, Chris Adler here, Eddie Van Adler, uh, and his brother will be bringing musicians that will be leading us uh, in worship, uh, so we'll have a great time in Dothan at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Uh, only 400 men can attend because of spacing and, and COVID restrictions, and it is sold out. But I'm looking forward to see all of you, seeing all of you that come. 
If you'd like to find out other things, uh, you can look ahead because we have plenty of other opportunities for you that will be happening throughout the year, maybe in a city near you. So check those. Now, this Sunday night, uh, there's a man church service that's going on, which is part of our strategy at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Uh, Gene Chiswick will be addressing all of us. The men, you can come to that in Vestavia Hills, Alabama, Sunday night at 6. No ticket required. Just be there. Uh, if you don't live in and around the Birmingham area and you'd like to watch it live, you can. Coming up this Sunday night, 6 o'clock Central Time, just go to shades.org slash live, and it'll start streaming at 6 o'clock Central Time this Sunday night. So let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for being with us today. We thank you uh, for the opportunity, Lord, uh, to, to, to dive in and that you're not hiding from us. You, you, you are opening yourself up to all who, who desire to seek you that you won't hide yourself from us. Help us, Lord, with our finite minds to wrap it around a concept as deep uh, as you are uh, today, but help us to understand it maybe in a way we, we, never, we, never, we never have. Uh, and, Lord, uh, you got us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have the book Knowing God, we're, we're actually on uh, chapter 6, um, and, and, and the title of that is He Shall Testify. So the, the Trinity is, is very intimidating uh, for a lot of us, uh, including uh, your teacher, uh, because it is a, a difficult thing to wrap your mind around the triune God, the Godhead, uh, three persons, one God. Uh, and you hear me quote this a lot because it's important. Uh, one of the men that I have great respect for that has been used by God to help me is now the late Adrian Rogers, who is already receiving his reward in heaven. And he said, though it is difficult to understand completely, and if you try to understand the Trinity completely, you may lose your mind, but if you deny it, you'll lose your salvation. So it really is important, and this is also one of those things you look for uh, if you're leery of a denomination, and I'm putting quotes on that, a denomination that claims to be purely Christian, but they don't acknowledge or recognize the Trinity, always be leery of that because that's a sign that it is heresy and not a true representation of Christianity. So the, the chapter starts off saying, Glory be to the Father, sings the church, and we, we've sung that, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. I remember my grandmother called Holy Ghost. Some say Holy Spirit. Um, and so what is this? A lot of times we ask, are we now singing a hymn to three different gods? No. Uh, because it goes on to say praise to the one God in three persons, or as the hymn puts it, if you want to be very specific, the hymn says Jehovah, Father, Spirit, Son. Jehovah, God, the one and only living God, and Jehovah is Father, Son, and Spirit. The mysterious Godhead, three in one. Three persons, one God. Now, this is the God whom true Christians worship. The triune Jehovah, the heart of the Christian faith, is God, his revealed ministry, I mean, sorry, mystery, and it is a mystery, Paul talks about this, of the Trinity. The Latin word here is trinitas, uh, and it means threeness. Christianity, and this is big, don't miss this today, it's just what Adrian Rogers said, Christianity rests on the doctrine of the threeness, the, the, the triple personality of God. So, so it's established that it's a really big deal. However, and I have been guilty of this, uh, it's often kind of assumed that the Trinity is so difficult to grasp 
that we seem to happily live without it. We think, well, the Trinity, it can't be that important, and I don't really fully understand it, so I don't guess it, I, I think I can just live without it. Uh, the way the church is often done, uh, you almost think this assumption is being confirmed, and, and, and this is one of the things in, uh, that I've noticed just as someone who has, has you know, been growing in my faith, and I remember when I was trying to figure the, and I'm still trying to figure all this out. I'm still growing. I'm still being sanctified. We'll never stop that until you know the return of Christ or our earthly death, when when everything will be made clear to us. But as we're in this finite mind trying to grasp these things and and grabbing, we ought to have the desire to grab every little nugget that God allows us to grab. And and too many times I was just like, ah, I don't really want to see to know God. It, I think I know enough. I've got the gospel. I think I'm saved. That ought to do it. Uh, but but that's a dangerous, as I've told you many times, that's that's a dangerous game plan, and that's dangerous theology. theology. But anyway, so I remember kind of noticing, and I see this in churches a lot, especially in the West, there are certain denominations of Christianity that I don't call false denominations, don't misunderstand me, because they acknowledge the Trinity, and they believe in the Trinity, but you'll notice the way they kind of operate their worship they're really focused on the Father and the Father only. These are the ones you see, they're a little more somber, a little more reverent, a lot of talk about the Father. And then you'll see some denominations that you kind of walk in there and you're like, well, this denomination really seems to be focused on the Son. I mean, there's everything's Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that. Praise the Lord for Jesus. But you don't hear a lot of mention. Uh, you will hear some on kind of a secondary uh, uh level of the Father, maybe not the Holy Spirit very much at all. Then you go to some churches, and it's all the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and 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 then the, the, the then you kind of have the Son mixed in there as kind of the second tier, and then there might be a little bit of reference uh, to the Father. But see, what, what J.I. Packer and what Scripture is trying to make us understand, if we want to be in proper worship of Jehovah, Jehovah then we are worshiping all three to the same level at the same time. And, uh, and they, they have distinct roles uh, and, and personalities, but they're one God. And, and I think it's almost like we go, well, this is so difficult to understand. Let's just take one of the persons of this triune God and let's kind of concentrate there, maybe two, but never all three. But Scripture says all three are crucial. And as you know, when we study John 1.1, uh, John laid this out. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Gospel of John today. And some of these concepts, if you followed our study of the Gospel of John, and you can find that. We did 33 weeks uh, through every word of the Gospel of John at Burgess Ministries by clicking on Listen. Uh, and if, you, if you'll if you search the different uh, series that we've had, you'll, you, you'll find the Gospel of John. But And some of this we talked about then, but we're going to focus on what it says about the, the Holy Spirit today. So let's look at John 1.1, and we've, we, go, we went over this last week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now be very careful with that if you got people come knocking on your door because the Jehovah Witnesses will knock on your door, and if you want to get them to leave, sit down with them and say, How do you, what do you say John 1.1 says? And what they'll say is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, which is blasphemy. That's heresy. Uh, they, they add something there to say, well, yeah, I mean, 
Jesus uh, is a God, but he, he isn't God. Well, there we go. Now, now we're breaking up the, the triune God. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And here's John saying, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, uh, and the Word, Jesus, was with God, but also the Word, Jesus, was God. Uh, John says the Word was in fellowship with, but also was God. And he talks about God in two persons, as we discussed last week, because it's crucial. But there is a third person uh, that appears uh, in the Gospel of John that we're going to unpack today. Uh, if you have your Bible, flip over to John 14, John 14, verse 16. And this is Jesus telling us now about this third person who also has always been, but uh, he is now talking about redemption coming to the world and that we are now going to have access uh, to God's presence and the power of God through the third person of, of the Trinity, and that is the Holy Spirit. So let's go to John 14 and look at verse 16, and we're going to look at some other verses as well. But here's what Jesus said. He just, got talk, he just now finished saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, which we've talked about before, and look at 16. And I will ask the Father, this is from the ESV, and yours, yours may word a little bit different, but it's still the same thing. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now, that, that word helper, I'm going to tell you, there's other translations that call that something different, but it's all the, different, the full personality of the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. So I'm, 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 you're going to receive another helper. You've got the Father. If you see me, you've seen the Father. I am the Son. But, but how about this? I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, meaning the third person of the, the Trinity. Now, if you look at verse 17, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see that uh, there's something else that he's called, and we'll get to that in a minute. But let's talk about this word helper. Now, if you look in your Bible, it might say, it might say advocate. Uh, it might say counselor. Uh, the, the, these are all English correct uh, words to use when describing the Holy Spirit. And, and you'll see comforter, counselor, helper, advocate. I love that one, as I mentioned a minute ago. And Jesus is promising that this will now be made available to us, another part of God. Uh, and this gives us great thoughts of, of the Holy Spirit, um, uh, or like I said, some of the old school folks, Holy Ghost, uh, thoughts of encouragement, uh, support. I like this, assistance. Um, th this part of God is here to help us, to encourage us, to support, to care for us, uh, to shoulder the responsibility uh, and the burden of our, of our welfare, and, and, and so on and so on. He was, for particularly what Jesus is talking about here, he's telling these disciples, which now represent us, the church, he says, I'm going to go back to the Father because I, I have completed what I came to do. I'm going to return back to where I belong, but I'm not just leaving you. I'm now going to give you this third person of, of, of the personality of God, uh, and this is, going to be, this is going to be a game changer. Because now the, the limits to uh, my dignity and my glory, which we talked about, that I gave up to become 100% man but remain 100% deity, I'm now going to take the full power of the Father and the Son, and it's going to be available to you all the time in the person of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's going to take care of you. Holy Spirit's going to be here for you. It's going to guide you. It's going to convict you. It's going to affirm you. It's going to support you. It's going to counsel you. It's going to, it's going to translate for you. Uh, and, and we'll get into some of that as we go forward. But now look at what it says about the, the, us understanding uh, the truth, too. Look what he says about him in verse 17. Still in John 14, 
We just did 16. Now here's verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, again, that's another description of the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, meaning if, if you have not been redeemed, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you have not been redeemed by Jesus, and this is one of those things where, where we talk about the evidence of Jesus in John 15 when he talks about that, that if we're connected to the true vine, there'll be evidence in our life because that true vine, the power of Jesus, but in our spirit is the Holy Spirit. That is the power of Jesus that stays with us. That is the power of God that is, that, that is in our spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken our dead spirit and made it alive. Then we will produce the fruit of the spirit, the fruit thus proving that we're disciples of Jesus, the Son. So you see how all this works? So, so that's what Jesus is assuring us. So he calls, he calls it now the spirit of truth. What does that mean? I don't know about you, but when I wasn't redeemed, I had a very difficult time understanding the concepts of God. I, I remember looking at the Bible going, this is just kind of a lot of mumbo-jumbo here. I'm not sure I understand it. You know why? I didn't have the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of truth. It's, it's going to also give me, hey, this is wrong. This is right. This is the truth. This is not. Uh, you know, that's where discernment comes from. You know, some people call it your conscience, but, but that's not what this is talking about. That's, that's something innate in all of us. The Holy Spirit, because I'll be honest with you, I got to a point when I was living in massive sin where my conscience didn't bother me at all. And I followed my heart, which is incredibly deceitful, uh, but I wasn't following the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit came in, then, then that was a game changer. It, did, it didn't mean I never made a mistake again, but it did mean I was never comfortable with it again. Somebody say amen to that. So, so the Holy Spirit, you know, the fact that, we, so he calls it the spirit of truth here, but we also know it's, that the Holy Spirit is called, is called holy. Look, look at uh, verse 26 here uh, of chapter 14. Same chapter in the Gospel of John, but now we're moving over to verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Okay. Can you imagine that? Let me tell you what he's saying. Can you imagine like you're trying to teach your children or maybe you're someone who coaches or teaches, whoever. It, maybe you're a boss and you give instruction. What if you could leave the room and say, though I'm physically leaving the room, what I just told you will remain with you and every time you need to recall it, it'll be like a computer that I left in my presence with you that you'll remember everything that I taught you, whether I'm here or not. That'd be helpful, wouldn't it? Well, that's why he's called the helper. He says, look, I, you're not going to forget. I know, I, hey, I threw a lot at you, and that's, you know, I, I doubt y'all are writing it down. So I threw a lot at you, but I'm going to now give you a helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That, that denotes deity. That den denotes the power of God. The Spirit is holy, deity, and I'm going to give you this spirit, and this spirit is going to teach you uh, and also remind you of everything that I've ever taught you. So do you have the Holy Spirit? As we roll through today, boy, we'll really, we'll really unpack that, won't we? So in the book, in, in page 67, uh, on page 67, he really begins to, to unpack this. You know, when, he, when John's talking about the, the, the plurality of the persons in the Godhead, he has a lot to say. So on page 67, when the Lord went on to name the new comforter, we just said that he's the spirit of truth. We just talked about that. The name denote, denoted deity. We talked about that. But look in the Old Testament, what it says here. In the Old Testament, God's word, you know, John says in the beginning was the word, God's word and God's spirit were parallel. 
in the Old Testament, kind of meant the same thing. The Word of God, the Spirit of God was all the same thing. God's Word, His Almighty speech, God's Spirit is His Almighty breath. Both phrases convey the thought of His power in action. His Word, His Spirit, because anytime that God speaks, you know, He breathed life into His Spirit into us. These things were one and the same. The speech and the breath of God appear together in the record of creation. We know this, if you know the record of creation. The spirit breath of God was hovering over the waters. Remember this? And it's and God said, and there was. Whatever he said, let there be, then there was. And he did this in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Listen to this. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Uh, their, uh, their starry host by the breath or the spirit of his mouth. Find that in Psalms 33.6. Write that down. Psalms 33.6 speaks of God's breath and spirit as if they're parallel. John told us uh, in the prologue that the divine word, we just read that, spoken of here is a person. Our Lord now gives parallel teaching to the effect that the divine spirit is also a person. And he confirms his witness to the deity of this personal spirit by calling him the Holy Spirit. And later, he was to, uh, to speak of the Holy Father, and that's in John 17, uh, 11. So let's, if you want to flip over to that real quick, look at John 17, 11. You just go over a page here, and you'll find it. Um, uh, 17, 11. And I'm, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. This is in the priestly prayer. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me. So Holy Spirit, Holy Father. So you see, this is the Spirit of God. Because it, every person inside the, the Trinity, uh, all these three persons are one holy God. And the Spirit has a specific role, the Son has a specific role, and the Father has a specific role. So, so I know, look, just let that settle. Let me just let that settle. And, uh, and, and, now, and then we'll move forward. So take all that in. So when, when you're thinking of these things, one thing to consider, let's, let's now move over to, to John 5. We're going to spend a lot of time in John because John talks about this a lot. Let's go over to John chapter 5. Some of you are remembering this from our study of John, but it's a great review, isn't it? Uh, so let's, let's, go, let's talk a little bit about the, these concepts in, in John chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 23, uh, 26, and 27. The, the Father sent the Son, and now we read that the Father sent the Holy Spirit. So, so, so look, at, look at 5, uh, verse 23, and this is what Jesus was, uh, was telling the disciples uh, about what was going to happen now, next, when he gets ready to ascend to the Father. The, uh, 22, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now, 23, that all may honor the Son just as they uh, honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So you, you see how he's setting that up. Now let's look at verse 26. Skip down to 26. For the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son also to have life in himself. Do you see this theme here? So we're, we're getting the Father sent the Son, the Father sent the Son. Now look at verse 27. Now look at 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So... There's no question that Jesus establishes, I was sent here by the Father 
And now the Father is going to allow me, he sent me, allow me to send to also send the Holy Spirit to you. Jesus is now has now gone back to the Father, and then the Father sends the Spirit now to take his place. Ooh. Do you see how this works? Okay, this is good. Uh, because let's, let's kind of unpack that a little bit. So, so the Spirit is subject to the Father, for the Spirit is sent by the Father in the Son's name. The Spirit is subject to the Son as well as to the Father, for the Spirit is sent by the Son as well as the Father. If, okay, if, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Let's go to, let's go to chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, because I want you to see that uh, Jesus has been given the authority to, to give the Holy Spirit, and, and we found this um, in, uh, in John 20, uh, and also the verse will be 22. So let's look at John 20, uh, 22. I've lost my place. Here it is. All right, John uh, 20, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So here's Jesus after the resurrection, peace be with you, comes back into the upper room. They're hiding. They're scared. And, and he said, and he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So we, we take by this, no doubt, that, uh, that God, sent, uh, God the Father sent the Son, but also gave the Son the ability to then send the Holy Spirit. So, so John records our Lord's disclosure of the mystery of the Trinity, three persons and one God. The Son doing the will of the Father, which is throughout the Gospel of John, and the Spirit also doing the will of the Father and the Son. And the point stressed is that the Spirit who comes to Christ's disciples to be with you forever, we talked about that in John 14, 16, is coming to exercise the ministry of a comforter in Christ's stead. Okay? If therefore the ministry of Christ, the comforter, was important, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, can scarcely be less important. If the work that Christ did matters to the church, which it does, then the work of the Spirit must also matter. We cannot ignore the importance of the Holy Spirit, and frankly, a lot of churches do. But what we're missing is it is impossible for you to say that you love Jesus and then ignore the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is now who is the presence of the Father and the Son in the life of the redeemed. That is what we have now. Just as, as God the Father sent the Son, God the Son, under the authority of the Father, sent the Holy Spirit and says, I'm done with what I came to do. I'm back in my proper place with the Father. But as I go back and we wait for all this to be resolved, the new heaven and new earth, what I leave with you that it gives you power that is unlimited, as far as the power of God, I leave with you the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what you work with now. Doesn't mean that we stop uh, with our uh, worship and reverency of the Father. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge and worship and pray in the name of Jesus. But it, what it means is these two are extremely important, but they are not, um, they're not, the Holy Spirit is not less important. And that's the part that, that, uh, that J.I. Packer kind of gets into next. Uh, according to the Gospel of John, we now have been sent this Spirit from the Father through the Son, but we can't ignore this. It, it, you kind of get the, the impression from reading church history 
and, and looking at the church today, you, you, you wonder if we really believe the importance of the Holy Spirit that was given to us by Jesus. It, it doesn't seem that way uh, everywhere you go. So, so if you look at the Spirit, it says they are for practical purposes in the same position as the disciples who Paul met at Ephesus. And, and you understand this. If you don't believe that this is true, that the Holy Spirit has been ignored and even through the history of the church, not just the presence of the church, I want you to take a look at Acts 19, uh, verse 2. Acts 19, verse 2. Write that down or turn to it. Acts 19, verse 2. So Paul gets to Ephesus, and what do they say? Look at it. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So we see this is something that we kind of didn't do a good job with right out of the gate of making sure that the new believers, the new followers of Jesus, the new redeemed, that they understood this concept of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Packer says, it's an extraordinary thing that those who profess, profess to care so much about Christ should know and care so little about the Holy Spirit. They know that, uh, uh, that they would be lost for they would have no Savior because you can't ignore Jesus by, you know, and still have a Savior. But many Christians have really no idea what difference it would make if there was no Holy Spirit in the world. Now, he's really about to double down now. Whether in, the, whether in that case they or the church would suffer in many ways that they may not be aware of because the Holy Spirit is here. Surely something is amiss here. How can we justify neglecting the ministry of Christ's appointed agent in this way? How can we be so apathetic about the Holy Spirit when Jesus said it's of great importance? Meaning you can't really say that you understand Jesus or you really know God if you think that you can easily disregard the Holy Spirit uh, because uh, that, that doesn't seem possible. So says, shouldn't we concern ourselves more about the Holy Spirit than we do? And then now Packer will say it, and there's really, there's really some substantial reasons uh, for us to do this. He says, uh, uh, first of all, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit is really important. Uh, were, were if, if not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel no faith, no church, no Christianity in the world at all. In the first place, without the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel and New Testament. Now, when I first saw that, I was like, oh, easy. What, 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 do, what do we mean by that? What, where, what, where are we coming up with this? Well, the reason why that, that the, the Holy Spirit gets ignored a lot is, is Packer makes this point. If you go around right now and say, I'd like to read books on the Father, you'll find them. I'd like to read some commentary on Jesus. Ooh, you'll find piles of that. But he says, think about how few resources there are that, uh, that, that, that a book that has, that, that has been based on nothing but our understanding of the Holy Spirit, which explains when Paul gets to Ephesus that you would have new Christians going, we haven't heard of this Holy Spirit. So I guess the question is for some of us out there today, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? Is, 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 are today, are we unpacking some concepts that maybe, that maybe you have not heard before. Well, I will tell you something. The beautiful thing about the church and why this is important, before I get into some of the things that Packer says, I'll tell you some of the things that, that we've been teaching, and it's a message that I've shared a number of times uh, when I get a chance to speak to churches and, or to men's groups, is that I think, and, and we learned this in the, the study of the Spirit of the Disciplines with Dallas Willard, which you also can find in our archives, 
is that I think we've kind of gotten to the point that we've become so apathetic about the Holy Spirit that we have almost but put a governor uh, on the power of God in our lives. The, how, how strong this really is. Like we've taken the power of the gospel, which the Holy Spirit uh, makes extremely powerful. You see, Rick, now where are you coming up with this? Well, I'll tell you where I come up with it, the book of Acts. I mean, the book of Acts. I mean, let's turn over there to the book of Acts. You guys have heard me go on and on about this before, uh, but I spent most of my life comparing myself to the, the early disciples of Jesus. I compared myself to them before they got the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you why I did that. It was a much lower standard. So they, they knew about the Father uh, from their study of, of the Old Testament as, as Jewish men, um, so they knew, and then they walked and were learning about the Son. But I got news for you. To the point that Jesus ascends to heaven, even after the resurrection, they're still, they still don't understand it. They still aren't bold. Uh, they're still kind of cowardice. And then they receive the Holy Spirit, and it changes everything. The standard of the early church before, well, and I say the church didn't start until the Holy Spirit was handed out, but the disciples of Jesus, the early followers of Jesus, the difference in them pre-Pentecost and post-Pentecost, there's no comparison. You, you've heard me talk about this, and you can read it for yourself in, in Acts chapter 2, when, when Peter, Peter hasn't, Peter isn't able to preach the way he preaches from Acts chapter 2 on. The Bible says Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, gives this incredible, he's rolling out things that I know he's a Jewish man, and I know that he has, he was. He certainly had learned growing up, and I'm sure his dad taught him a lot about Scripture and the prophets. However, Peter doesn't know all the things he's saying under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you that when I gave the memorial service for my youngest son, my plans were to get up and to help and tell people, thank you for their support, thank you for being with us. And My pastor was going to give the message, but before I knew it, I was talking for 30 minutes that, uh, that was totally under the authority of the Holy Spirit. I didn't, I wasn't going to say all those things. Uh, it came out. Peter got up under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you see Peter and John. At one time, Peter didn't want to be associated with Jesus, even told a little girl, cusses her, quit saying I'm with Jesus. John runs out of his clothes when they try to take him. Uh, and, and these same two guys that were cowardice and running and continuing to hide even after the resurrection when they got the Holy Spirit, they stand before the people that can kill them, and they and they says now filled with the Holy Spirit, and everybody recognized their boldness. Everybody recognized that they were with Jesus. What was it that changed these men? What was it that made sure that everybody now went from I don't know if they're with him or not to recognizing they're absolutely one of the disciples of Jesus. They absolutely represent this new church. And how did they know that? Because of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that's available to us. And honestly, I know for a large, large part of my life, I didn't access it. Uh, and I was, man, it, it, was almost like, it was almost like I was a light bulb with the potential to illuminate, but I had never, uh, you know, taken myself and attached myself to the power of the Holy Spirit so I could illuminate in a way I never could before. The Holy Spirit just simply means here's access to the power of God. You know, I know some people get weird with it, and, and, and maybe there's some things going on that, you know, because we, we, we will abuse everything, including sometimes this uh, obsession, you know, or, or the use of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but, but, but also you can be on the other side of it where you don't access it at all. And, that, that, and you have apathy toward this as if it's not important. And it looks like it's incredibly important.
uh, let's, let's look at what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 uh, in verse uh, 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to the Father, and I need you to go out to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, and, and I feel pretty good that you're going to do this. He says, I know you're going to do it, but I know why you, I know you're going to do it. Here's what gave Jesus the confidence that they would do it. He says, but you will receive power, meaning they don't have it yet. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you're not his witness to your Jerusalem, if you're not his witness to, to your Judea, if you're not his witness to your Samaria, and you have no desire to be a witness to the ends of the earth, it may be because you don't have the power. And the power he's talking about is the power of the Holy Spirit. And why would that be? Well, you've got to work that out between you and God. But one of the reasons could be is you're delusional about your faith. Because the Holy Spirit is so powerful, it radically changes you. I mean, Jesus, Jesus said, I mean, the perfect example, Peter was given access to power that, frankly, he didn't have until he got the Holy Spirit. That's just, that's just a fact. So what are some other things uh, that the Holy Spirit will do for us? We, we, we know that he's the counselor, meaning he teaches us all things. He'll remind you of everything that Jesus said. We touched on that. Uh, and then Jesus says in John 14, 26, write that down, back to John now. Uh, remember we talking about this? I have much more to say to you uh, than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak of on his own, but he will speak only what he hears. That is, he would make known to them all that Christ would instruct them to tell them, just as Christ had made known to them all that the Father had instructed him uh, uh, to tell them. And there's examples of him saying that. So the Holy Spirit will now teach and, and make it possible for these disciples to truly comprehend all that Jesus was, just like Jesus made it possible for them and us to comprehend all the Father is. Are you following this, how this works? It's really quite fascinating, isn't it? I hope this is clicking with some of you right now as it, as it is with me, okay? So he says, he'll tell you also what is to come. He'll bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. He'll, he'll take the power from me, Jesus saying, and he'll make that power available to you. This is it. This is, this is that spirit. It, Jesus' power that comes from the Father to the Son, now available to us through the Holy Spirit. How about this? In this way, he will testify about me. You find this in John 15, 26, 27. He will testify about me to, to my disciples to whom I send him, and, and, and he'll equip and enable us for this testifying work. He says, you must testify, but now the Holy Spirit gives you the power to testify. I told you all that example. Uh, Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. I told you the example of my wife being able to pray when she could not do it, that, that God's will would be done in the earthly death and, and the number of days that our youngest son would live. I, 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 I my, my wife, in my will, I want the, this baby, uh, and I did too, to, to be revived. But then she said, I begin to pray, but not my will be done, but yours. She said, I couldn't pray that. Romans chapter 8 says, you know who prayed that for my wife? The Holy Spirit. 
because sometimes he intercedes and he prays what you ought to be praying. He, get, he, he makes sure you pray correctly if you have him. Wow. Wow. But, it, but it, it's not just it, with, with, with the disciples. It's, it's not just uh, the early disciples. It's not just John, not just Peter. It's also Paul. It's, it, 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 the Spirit came to the disciples, testified, testified to them of Christ and his salvation according to the promise, speaking of the glories of the salvation, what God had prepared for those who love him. And then Paul comes in and he says what? God has revealed it to us by the Spirit we have received the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. And he might have you know, written this down. He said, not words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Rick, where's that? Where's Paul say that? Write this down. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. Read it again. God has revealed to us by His Spirit that we have received the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. There's Paul saying, I'll tell you why I write these things. I'll tell you why I'm able to write to you about these things, because of the Holy Spirit, that's why. So the Spirit testified to the apostles by revealing to them all the truth and inspiring them to then communicate it with all truthfulness, hence the gospel and hence the New Testament. But the world would have had neither of these things, the gospel or the New Testament, without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These men couldn't have communicated it to us properly. We wouldn't have it. We, w- we wouldn't have all this in, in the Word of God if the Holy Spirit had not uh, uh, given these men the ability to write what God wanted them to say. So in the second place, without the Holy Spirit, there would be no faith and no new birth. In short, there would be, there'd be no Christians because we wouldn't know. So the Holy Spirit, that's, it's a really big deal, a really big deal. So... What, what follows? Should we conclude that preaching the gospel is a waste of time and write off evangelism as a hopeless enterprise uh, foredoomed to fail? Well, no. Because the Spirit abides with the church to testify of Christ. We have the Spirit. No, we are, we're, we're told to go out and do it. Not everybody does. You can't just sit back and say, well, I guess, I guess the Spirit will go out there and find everybody. No, those that have been redeemed... No, those that have been redeemed. I mean, I mean, God's talking, you know, to Nicodemus and trying to get him to under, uh, understand this through the person of Jesus. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, you know, it, it, Christ said to Nicodemus, "No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again." That's in John three three, speaking corporately for himself and his disciples to Nicodemus to the whole class of unregenerated religious people to which Nicodemus belonged. Christ went on to explain that inevitably consequence of this uh, of this rebirth you know because you you are unregenerated you have an unbelief uh, even you religious people you have an unbelief and he says in John 3:11 you people talking about the religious who were un they're, they're unredeemed he says you people do not accept our testimony talking about Jesus and his disciples the gospel produces no conviction in them unbelief holds them fast 
Why does unbelief hold people fast? They still won't believe until what? They receive the Holy Spirit. So they have encountered the Holy Spirit. That's why we have hope that evangelism actually produces disciples. The Spirit abides with the church to testify of Christ. To the apostles, he testified by revealing and inspiring, as, as we saw. To the rest of us, down through the ages, he testifies by illuminating, opening blinded eyes, restoring spiritual vision, enabling sinners to see uh, that the gospel is indeed God's truth and the scripture is indeed God's word and Christ is indeed God's son. Here it comes again. Look at John 16, 8. Write that down, John 16, 8. When he, the Spirit, comes, our Lord promised, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and justice. I may hear it, but you know what causes me to believe it is when I come under conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened to me. Jesus said, now when the Spirit comes, he will convince the world concerning sin. Why do I know that something isn't right? The conviction of the Holy Spirit concerning righteousness. When do I know that I'm righteous? When do I, when do I get the affirmation uh, that, that what I'm doing is right? The Holy Spirit. When do I know that I'm under judgment or the wrath of God will come upon me if I don't repent? The Holy Spirit. So if you really want to just, just underline this and hang on to it, it is the sovereign prerogative of Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to convince men's consciousness of the truth of Christ's gospel. And Christ's human witnesses must learn to ground our hopes of success, not on some clever presentation. If I don't, you ever thought about that? I know a lot of people do not witness and they don't give their testimony because they're afraid I'm going to mess it up. What if I don't say the right thing? The disciples were concerned about this. What did Jesus say? The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say. Don't worry, I'll be with you. I'll tell you what you need to say. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will tell you what to say. Same thing with us. He will convince. He will convince. Look, it's not about how clever you can present the truth. It's about the truth itself. I hope that frees some of you in this Bible study today. You don't have to have some ability to pontificate some impressive presentation of the gospel if you'll just introduce them to the truth, the truth it's going to convict them will be a powerful demonstration of the Holy Spirit, not the powerful presentation that you as a human being came up with. Well, you know, I'll say this word here and this word here and I'll do it then. If I do all that right and I get it all right and don't mess anything up, then maybe somebody will, uh, will be convicted. No, you just tell them the truth and the Holy Spirit will do the convicting. You just be obedient. And you know what you say, well, Rick, well, I don't know if I have a clever presentation. Well, you don't have to have a clever presentation. Can't you just say, I was lost, and I encountered Jesus in the gospel, and here's what it did for me, and as you're talking about that and talking about what God did through Christ, the Holy Spirit will start working on them because they're hearing the truth. Now, they can reject it, but they will be drawn to it by the Holy Spirit. So Paul points this out. Listen to what he says. When I came to you, brethren... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God in lofty words of wisdom. Now, unlike Peter, uh, Paul could give you some lofty words of wisdom. He was highly educated. But he says, that's not what I did. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Here it comes. But in 
demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It doesn't matter how well-educated Paul was. What mattered is that he was in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he said, is what has convinced you. And that is in 1 Corinthians, write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And because the Spirit does bear witness in this way, people come to faith when the gospel is preached. But without the Spirit, oh man, listen to this. Because of this, without the Holy Spirit, there wouldn't be one Christian in the whole world. <laughs> because it's the Holy Spirit that, uh, that brings us to redemption. Uh, that's, what, that's what gives us that desire to repent. That's what gives us the understanding of what's being said. That's what draws us to it. That's where the power is. So what's our proper response? Do we honor the Holy Spirit by recognizing and relying on, on, on His work? Do we do that in our own lives? Do, do you think in your own life that you do a good job of relying on the Holy Spirit and understanding how important the Holy Spirit is and embracing it and desiring it and being drawn to it and receiving it in its fullness? Do you have it in its proper place? Let's, what do you mean, what place? Well, first of all, in our faith. Do we acknowledge the authority of the Bible, the prophetic Old Testament, and, and also the, the, uh, the Apostle New Testament, which he inspired? So do we have that in the proper place in our faith? Yes, this is the Word of God. Yes, it has the power of God. Yes, it is prophetic. Yes, it is the plan of salvation. Yes, it was God-inspired. Do, do we read and hear it with the reverence and the receptiveness that are due to the Word of God? If not, if, not, if that's not how you see the Bible, then you do not honor the Holy Spirit. You dishonor the Holy Spirit. If you get into this garbage that's starting to pick up steam now, well, this is just written by a bunch of men, and it's just a bunch of their opinions. Uh, it is not inerrant. Uh, it, is, it is just a bit. You can't really trust the Word of God. This is blasphemy, and this is not of the Holy Spirit. What about, so in our faith, do we acknowledge the Bible of what it's supposed to be, the God-inspired Word that tells us everything we need to know about who God is, what happened to mankind, and how we are to be redeemed? What about in our life? Do we apply the authority of the Bible and live by the Bible, whatever anyone may say against it, recognizing that God's Word cannot be true and that, that what God has said, He certainly means, and He will stand behind it? So if anybody says that's not God's Word, anybody says it cannot be true, we stand up and say, no, I stand behind it in my life. I, I, this is the standard. I live by it. Nobody comes against God. Anybody who opposes God opposes, uh, I will oppose. I, I, will, I will love what God loves, and I will hate what God hates, and I will get that from the authority of Scripture, and anybody... Uh, who does not recognize God's Word and says it cannot be true, uh, and, and, and I will stand by it, and if I don't, then I dishonor the Holy Spirit who gave us the Bible. If I won't defend Scripture and I won't defend God in my life, I don't have the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about this. You, know, you, you, you found this even you know, in the Old Testament with Jeremiah before the Holy Spirit was available to all of us. I mean, you look at Jeremiah saying, I don't even want to talk about God anymore, and I can't help it because I'm so ingrained in him God and I are so in sync. I, I have God's Spirit so powerfully in my life that even when I don't want to talk about Him, I still do. 
and it does it does nothing but cause me problems. Look, if you if you love God and you honor the Holy Spirit, it will cause you to be persecuted and reviled by a sinful, evil world. It will. Because they want you to come into their truth or to let truth be fluid and vacillate, and you're saying God's truth is the only truth. I stand by God. I honor the Holy Spirit. And if you oppose me, you oppose God. And remember what I said. It's not about we dislike them. I don't, I, I'm not trying to hate you. I just stand with God. So if you oppose God, then I oppose you and you oppose me. But you're welcome to come here. Redemption's available to you. I, I had to be redeemed. I'm no better than you, but I tell you what I'm not going to do. You're not going to cause me to dishonor the Holy Spirit. I will not walk away from God. I will not dumb down God, and I will not change a standard that is God's by saying maybe he didn't mean it when he said that in his word. And there's a lot of that going on. So do we honor the Holy Spirit in our faith by acknowledging the word of Bible, the, I mean the authority of the Bible, do we acknowledge him in our life by standing by and defending his standard against all who come against him? And do we honor the Holy Spirit in our witness? Do we remember that the Holy Spirit alone, by his witness, uh, you know, makes our witness authentic, and we look to him to do so and trust him to do so, and, and, uh, and we show the reality of the trust. We don't just say it, as Paul did, by saying that we don't depend on gimmicks and human cleverness. Paul didn't. I assure you, if Paul didn't depend on some saying, some slogan, some gimmick, some cleverness, he said, I'm just suspended on the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to shoot you straight, say what God told me to say, and the Holy Spirit is enough. If not, if we think there's something other than the Holy Spirit that is going to convict people and make our witness authentic, something other than that, then we dishonor the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, 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 uh, it's, it, and this is just, uh, this is a huge mistake. We dishonor the Holy Spirit. Can we doubt that the present barrenness of the church's life is God's judgment on us for the way in which we have dishonored the Holy Spirit? You ever go into a church and you know it's cold? There's nothing going on in there? I have. I've had the pleasure of speaking to some really, really Holy Spirit uh, inspired churches that are in sync with God in every way. And I've loved every one of them. But I have stepped into some churches that uh, you can tell that the Holy Spirit is not being honored there because it's cold and it's stiff. I refer to that when you preach in those kind of churches. Uh, I refer to that as chopping wood. You're exhausted when it's over. Because you have the Holy Spirit, and man, you are trying, and the Holy Spirit is being rejected rejected, rejected, and you walk out of there. I remember one time, and, I, and I'm not someone, um, there's nothing wrong with crying. I mean, I, I'm not saying, oh, don't cry. I, I, I don't cry very often. Uh, it's just not my personality. Uh, I'm not overly emotional. However, uh, when I am in the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and of course when I have grieved about things that are worthy of grieving about, I can remember walking out of a church one time and the rejection of the Holy Spirit was so strong. And man, I had tried, and maybe I messed up by thinking it was up to me to make it happen because I just felt the, the resistance to it. Uh, and it was so cold and it was rejected so clearly uh, that I just stepped off into an area from the platform that I was speaking on and I just wept because I, I just thought how they had rejected, not me, 
I mean, you reject me. You haven't done anything. I'm, I'm, I am worth a, worth being rejected, uh, but he's not. And the word of God isn't, and the Holy Spirit isn't. And when it happens, it's like you can just feel the heartbreak of God. So maybe that's why in a lot of churches there is a barrenness. It's barren in there because they've dishonored the Holy Spirit. And in that case, what hope have we of its removal till we learn in our thinking and our praying and our practice to honor the Holy Spirit? He shall testify. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And that's out of the book of Revelation. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Do you honor the Holy Spirit? Do you understand this crucial part of the triune God? The Holy Spirit is God's presence in our life. It is what Jesus Christ, under the authority of the Father, left behind for us. And it is the power of the gospel. It is the power of sanctification. The Holy Spirit is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. So to say that the Holy Spirit has come into our lives and had no impact on us or our witness, according to the Scriptures, is impossible. So if that is the case, then there's something wrong with our relationship with this triune God. Because if we're in proper alignment with the triune God, with Jehovah, then we are in sync with the Father, the Son, and the evidence and the power of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus himself said is a game changer. Do you find yourself comparing yourself to the disciples before the Holy Spirit or after? And if it's after, a much higher standard, how are you measuring up? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this conviction and this truth. And thank you for the Holy Spirit. Spirit, just, just right now, I pray uh, that you'll convict of the hearts of all of us that need to be refined by you. Uh, that you also give us the truth about ourselves. And I don't know if there's people that are watching this or listening to this right now, Lord, uh, that because of your Holy Spirit, uh, their hearts have been pierced and they're crying out, what am I supposed to do? And I know when Peter in Acts chapter 2 said, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when he heard that from those whose hearts were pierced by you, Spirit, he said, repent. The Holy Spirit calls us to repentance. Turn to 180 from your sin and turn to God. Confess your sins, repent of your sins, submit to the authority of God, and confess with your mouth that the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, raise the Son from the dead to complete our redemption. Do you believe that? Have today, or maybe for the first time, or the first time that you ever understood it, do you think you've been redeemed? If so, reach out to me, rick at rickandbubba.com, and I'll help you take the next step now of growing from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity and how to access the continued power of the Holy Spirit and watch your sanctification. In the name of Jesus, the Son, in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen.
hey, thank you for this time together. And uh, if I can help you in any way, please let, let me know. Uh, and also don't forget to check out what we have available uh, for the men that are watching this at themanchurch.com.